Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by Logan Motoshami to talk about the new home sales report, existing home sales, housing prices, mortgage rates, inventory, recession red flags, and more. That's a lot of ground to cover, so let's jump in. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. What a wonderful uh, day to be here with lots of housing news this week. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so first off, the new home sales report, what happened there? Wow, wow, wow. I, I, and, and I honestly say this, uh, this was probably the most surprising new home sales report in my career. Uh, uh, every trend line forward guidance lie, everything was to, you know, kind of forecasting down. Uh, so every, everyone was geared up for that. <clears throat> and not only was it a massive beat on the headlines, the revisions were positive. So one of, the, one of the things that I, I try to talk about with the new home sales report is that the sales levels are really low currently. They're below the recession levels of 2000. They're nowhere close to the levels that we saw uh, uh, in the run-up to the peak of the housing bubble. And the monthly uh, reports of the new home sales uh, uh, sector, it can get really wild. Um, uh, and revisions are always key and you could have like one report that really overdoes does it to the downside and then it gets revised backward. And we saw this happen in 2018 where there was a lot of real negative prints. They all got revised higher. So I'm assuming that this is just a function of that because new home sales is roughly kind of at those levels that we saw in 2018 and and we're kind of there and people just have to get used to it. There's going to be some really wild prints. Uh, but this was surprising in the sense that the headline was a beat and the revisions came in. So it just kind of looks like very stable demand working from a very low level historically. So it caught everyone by uh, a surprise, even the people that, you know, kind of specialize in just the new home sales sector. Uh, sales levels are lower of course, than what we saw in the peak of COVID. Uh, monthly supply is above six and a half months still. You know, five months of the 7.7 months uh, of supply are homes that are uh, in, in construction. Uh, so uh, we're still dealing with the backlog uh, of those homes that are that are uh, not built yet. I think about it, there's like two months of supply of, of homes that they haven't started on. So it, it's really a funky, funky number in that sense that everyone, everyone anticipated a decline. The builder's confidence index has been falling. So I could only uh, uh, think that, you know, I've seen this before with new home sales over the last, you know, 10 to 12 years and uh, expect some real wild prints in the future until things stabilize. But when you look at the data, it's really working kind of from 2018 levels. Uh, it's historically still low. And the builders never had this credit buildup that they that they had to deal with in 2005. And I think that's part of that's part of housing and just in general. We never had a sales boom. So we're not working from such an elevated level that 
we expect so much declines in, in new home sales like we saw. We saw an 82% decline in new home sales from a very elevated level. And uh, that that's how I try to make sense of it. Um, not like housing's reversing or changing anything, but it's just working from a very low base currently. So when you look at that new home sales report, did you think, okay, well, that means a lot of those houses are coming online that have been in process this whole time? Is that where that's coming from? Well, uh, I think the completion data is 0.68 months or some ridiculously low number. Um, The builders, because the monthly supply data was really tainted by the um, housing completion data, it's a very funky it's a funky data line that people still today kind of misuse. They they saw the monthly supply spike up to nine months, and they naturally thought that was authentic supply of homes, of completed homes. That wasn't the case. Uh, so th- th- they had buyers for those homes, um, and they haven't seen really big cancellations yet or anything to that nature. So they're just closing in the products that they had. And then five months of those homes are still under construction. Let, we're, we're talking about new home sales that have you know fallen already uh, from the peak of COVID. So because sales levels are low, and this really reminds me of 2018, sale levels are are, are low historically. That they're, the builders are trying to manage this as much as possible. Um, it's not like the existing home sales market that had 6.5 million home sales in January of this year and. It's fallen down to 5.41 million. Uh, you're, you're working from a smaller uh, a, a base of sales to a client that's usually the upper income. So it's just it's just a stabilizer report at this point. And I wouldn't make too much of it going out in the future, either positive or negative. We're going to need a series of reports uh, and get a trend to see you know how long how for how low new home sales can go. And how much of that supply that they have uh, uh, taken uh, uh, under construction that they'll have they can sell? Because a lot of the really bearish housing takes that I see on Twitter are these people that look at these homes under construction and they think this is all going to flood the market with no buyers. And that's kind of not the way to look at it when you have so many loan or homes under construction. Uh, plus, we have over 142 million units. Out there, so the completion data that's at 1.5 million. There's a multifamily construction side, and then there's new home sale side. You have to look at what what is left open out there as net inventory uh, of a home. So it, it, people are confused by that because housing crash addicts are always the same. Uh, but it, it was it was really fascinating to have that re- that kind of a reversal with the uh, HMI data falling for a few months now. Well, you mentioned existing home sales. Let's talk about that because you wrote a, a, an article called The Savagely Unhealthy Housing Market is Now a Nightmare, and it was based on one of the data lines from the existing home sales report. So tell us about that. You know, the I think the shock and awe of 2022 is that we've seen uh, technology stocks, crypto, the S&P 500, uh, bond market. There's all these things that are crashing this year, and everyone was focused on housing. And because housing is housing, people just focus on price. Uh, even the fact that sales were declining, 
until home prices crash, they, they're not they're not satisfied. So what happened in this report is the same concern that we we had early on in the year, starting and also starting in last October. Median sales prices up 14.8%. We have declining sales, noticeable declining sales, and home prices are still rising. The forward-looking weekly data, you know, when you see Redfin or you see Realtor.com, are still showing median list prices of 16 to 14% uh, with, with sales prices around those levels. This is the savagely unhealthy aspect of housing because the housing market is the one sector of the economy that is a financial asset that really hasn't declined. Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm taking commodities and oil prices out of the, the equation. But I think people were led to believe because they were kind of told that housing was, you know, kind of 20% oversupplied last October. And that if mortgage rates got to 4%, the flooding, all these American citizens who are struggling and, and need to cash out, they would all flood the market and inventory would skyrocket to what we saw like in, in 2006. And none of that's happened. And because inventory levels are so low, the savagely part is you have declining sales and still double digit home price growth. You know, back in 2013 and 14 and 2018 and 19, we had similar dynamics, falling sales, but the growth rate of, of prices noticeably, noticeably fell by now. Um, and now we're almost in July. And I think, I think that is... That's where my work might have been really different than other people, where everybody wants the time or be the hero. I'm going to tell you when prices are going to fall. And I'm, and we're sitting here today with total inventory levels still well below what we saw in 2010, 2013, 2016, and even in 2019. And I think that gets lost in the message because if housing isn't crashing, then what's the talk about, really? Um where the uh, housing construction, to me, is, is, is more critical. And that data line is, is, is starting to weak. You know, that was the fifth recession red flag. Builders' confidence. So the builders are just going to slow things down to make sure they could sell everything. That, to me, is more of the important story just for the economy and for the future growth of, of, of construction units. But we're so focused on prices falling 20 or 30% that a lot of the messaging that I've seen, you know, in social media and from other outlets starting from, you know, the middle part of uh, last year was that home prices have to crash because nominal home prices are, are, are so high. But nobody wanted to talk about the inventory story because there's a lot of people who still tell you it's fake news. Uh, the low inventory is, is a lie. It, it, home prices are accelerating beyond historical trend because of what? Oh, because of those institutional investors that went from 0.4% before COVID to 2.5%. That's it. That must be it. So it's my job is to try to cut as much noise of that out because this is not a good thing. Right. This is this is the the savagely unhealthy part. And, um, you know, when these reports come out, people just don't understand them. They go. And, and I have a lot of smart friends on social media and they don't get it either. And my work is to say, listen, until we get back to, as we've always talked about here on Housing Wire, 
the NAR data 1.52 to 1.93. That just gets you back to a normal market. We're not talking about 2006, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 data. We're just talking about 2019. And when monthly supply gets over four months, on a national basis, you're here. But uh, it, all this gets lost because everybody, everyone whiffed. Let, I mean, let's be honest. The housing crash people in America whiffed for 11 years. I mean, and, and, and it's all about, I, I hope it's just marketing because when people talk about 20 or 30% home price crashes this year, you're talking about that having in an in a inventory environment below three months nationally or, or below uh, pre-COVID levels. So that to me is, that's why I try to highlight it. That's why I use the savagely unhealthy uh, theme this year, because in January and February, it was really evident. It wasn't because credit was booming or anything like that. We literally had for the first time in our history, a raw shortage of homes that created forced spinning. And why I talk about we need higher rates. Could you all imagine, everyone listening to this podcast right now, could you imagine if mortgage rates didn't get to 6% this year, where we would be at on prices? Yeah, it would be insane. So we're having a major increase in prices and mortgage rates, the biggest affordability hit of our lifetimes, and inventory still isn't back to 2019 levels because inventory is sticky, it's slow, uh, it takes time, it takes duration for this to work itself up. And that's why, you know, so much of our work here at Housing Wires is to guide people, give people a process to work with. And you just have to get off of that 2008 mentality because it wasn't even 2008, it was 2005. And still to this day, I'm everybody. And then here's here's the latest thing. It's Airbnb now. Airbnb always comes up like every year. Now, every person who owns an Airbnb is going to flood the market. And that's going to do it. So I sit here and I'm thinking, my God, we have like 1.16 million total listings per the NAR data. If I took every Airbnb unit and flooded the market with it and had no buyer demand, no bid, we're at, we're not even at 1.8 million. I can't even, I can't even take the savagely unhealthy aspect off. Even if every single Airbnb went to the market, because this is, this is the fanatical nature of, of housing people on, in America on the internet. Even if I took all the Airbnb units, it's still not enough to even get my unsavagely housing market theme in. And the reason this happens is because nobody reads. You know, it just I, I sit here and I show these inventory charts. I mean, I specifically designed a new kind of inventory data line once once rates started to rise, just to make sure to tell people, hey, listen, we have to get up here just to get to normal. So yeah, I, um, listen, I support reading. I support reading. But but let me ask you this. When you look at that existing home sales data from April, do you feel like we're going to look back and go, that was the top? Yes, that, you know, prices went up 14.8%. Or is the top going to be the May data? Because we know that there has been some slowdown this month in June, right? Forward looking um, housing data as of June 18th and 19th is still showing 
and, I, and, I, and it cringes. It cringes me. I just, I'm so painful to say this, but it's the truth. The forward-looking data as of June 18th is still showing double-digit price gains. That's wild. And and we've had the the big rate increase. So I think over time, this happens. But again, I, I people have to understand my mindset. I need inventory to rise. I need prices to fall to make my price growth model work. You people ruined my model by everyone buying homes, you know, uh, uh, at the time with the lowest inventory. So every month that goes by, I'm thinking, oh, it's got to go down even more for me to get my model. So I'm like, in, I'm, I'm in painful land right here. Um, inventory will pick up. The NAR data lags what we see on the weekly data. The weekly data is picking up. So hopefully, you know, the growth rate slows down toward uh, the end end of this uh, year, and we're like in single digits. Because if if we finish this year at double digit home price gains, do do you realize like the, I mean the absolute graveyard that has been created this year that people have talked about 15, 20, 25% home price crashes this year. Um, and it became literally, this is actually the most savagely unhealthy housing market uh, of our lifetime. Not because there's a credit boom or a bust, but we simply cannot get inventory levels high enough to start to getting towards single digits. So I'm hoping, you know, home price growth is seasonal. So you see the seasonal uh, 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 declines toward the second half of the year. Inventory fades out. Uh, I, the best part about the existing home sales report to me is that we're at 2.6 month supply. This is going to increase. We need to get this above four months, right? And then the, the the how you look at inventory channels historically, you wait until October. And as long as you see inventory grow year over year, that to me at this point uh, in our history, that is a positive. You do not want inventory to go back down again because we don't want another year like this. So uh, be a little bit patient. I, I, it's, it, it was so confusing to people to see that kind of price growth level because the Case-Shiller lags. The Case-Shiller is still at 20% year over year. Um, uh, so so it, it's a few months behind, but the median price is still up. So this is a pure inventory story. And that's why I'm slamming my desk every day we need inventory to rise because the longer we stay here, the worse it is for the housing market. And we already paid a price. I mean, uh, and, I, and I say this, there is a reason why I talked about the 23% home price growth model uh, for this period. Because imagine if we just had 3 to 4% home price growth every single year. We would coast for many, many years. Mortgage rates rise, the marginal home buyer gets hit. But we had so much price leeway because every year wage growth picks up, you know, but we lost that. So you pay the price for that when mortgage rates rise. Sales are falling uh, uh, noticeably, but it's not as beneficial unless inventory picks up much more. And I'm I'm very I'm very encouraged that I, I, that, that I believe that we're 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 finally going to have the first year where inventory is growing on a year-over-year basis toward the next year, and then next year inventory should increase some more. The only thing that changes this variable is if mortgage rates come back down. Well, that is exactly what I was going to ask you next. Let's talk about that variable because, right, you've been watching the 10-year yield. What do we think? You know, I, I tell people in in interviews always that if you are a seven to eight to nine per mortgage rate person, boy, you're really bullish on the U.S. economy. 
You know, you're just, and I cannot functionally say that if I have my fifth recession red flag up, that growth and wages and consumption are about to take off. And because of that, the supply increases that we're starting to see gets gobbled up and inflation stays more firm. So uh, that's why I've talked about, you know, to me, rates have kind of peaked because we look at where the 10-year yield, I think today it was at, you know, 3.14%. And I remember 2018, three at three and a quarter, and mortgage rates were about 5% uh, back then. So the rates have gotten ahead of the bond market. There's still that big pricing spread. But if the economy starts to actually really get weaker on, on more and more of the data lines, and we, we see plenty of data lines that are softening up right now, manufacturing, home sales, uh, retail sales is, is okay, you know, but it's still there. These things, rates come back down. And my concern, and, and this is, oddly enough, this is my biggest concern, is that when rates come back down, the inventory that we've gained gets, you know, some of it gets taken off. And it's just harder to get back to pre-2019 uh, levels. Uh, so uh, this is why I was part of Team Higher Rates. This is why I say to create balance or the Powell reset, uh, rates have to stay high enough to allow the market to cool down. I know why everybody disagrees with me on this, because they say, you know, uh, if, you, if you kill rates, uh, the builders won't build. Okay, that's true. But if we need 3% mortgage rates, for the builders to build, and then we're running 15 to 20% home price growth year over year, there's something wrong with the system, mm. right? So um, for now, I am very fortunate that rates have kind of stayed up high enough to let the market kind of cool down. We see it, home sales are falling, you know, even new home sales are, are, are lower than what they are. Construction's gonna get hit. Builders have already told you they're kind of just gonna be very slow. Um, so it's just what we have such a unique dynamic here because on one hand, we want inventory to rise because home price growth is too much uh, uh, and we need the economy to stay firm for rates to stay up. So we're, we're doing this tug of war. This is why I've always talked about this tug of war right now. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, mortgage-backed securities, mortgage guys, everyone, everyone go to your internet, just type in Fred. Type in the 10-year yield and 30-year mortgage rates. And my running joke is that the Federal Reserve sold all their mortgage-backed securities back in 1975 to 1981. It wasn't a thing back then. And then I joke, hey, they bought all their mortgage-backed securities again from 1982 to 2010. It wasn't a thing back there. Bond yields had to rise for mortgage rates to go up right? Uh, the mortgage-backed security spreads is higher, but you can't have a system where bond yields are really falling down and mortgage rates go the opposite way. So uh, the longer it stays up here, the more balance we create, the better. The fear is that the economy is weakening and you know frontline retail uh, uh, workers get hit. That's not the mortgage buyers. Buying power picks up a little bit and it takes some of the inventory. I don't think we get the same impact of lower rates as we did in the previous expansion. But anything getting off of that to me is not good because the, we have to get off of these low inventories. I, I hope everyone understands why I'm so stressful about this because people assume that with sales fall, prices would decline. Americans are, are these panically stock traders or Twitter accounts that keep on talking about it's a Ponzi scheme. No, 
There's only one group of people that think that way. And trust me, they will think housing crash until their very last day of their life. So there are we we have to we have to look at it in a more sophisticated way that we want to get off of these levels because all these homeowners are fine. They're legit. They're good. My God, they're 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 not going anywhere now. I mean, um, that's the other thing you see all over the news. Like, oh, glad you know, glad I'm going to be in this house for the next twenty years because I have this you know incredibly low rate. No way am I <laughs> selling, right? Yeah, and and, and here's the, here's the thing with with the low rate. So let's uh, uh, under thirteen percent of the country that owns homes they have mortgage rates three 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 percent and under, and roughly thirty eight percent have between. Uh, three to four percent. So majority of the country is really four percent and under. Uh, so everyone moves every year. The accumulation of inventory is more traditional when demand weakens, right? A, a job loss recession can facilitate that. But people who live in their homes and their kids go to school and they have friends and family around, they just don't pick up and sell their house to go homeless or rent. And no matter how many times I try to say this, this for some reason doesn't connect with people. Homeowners are not stock traders. Look what stock traders do. One little technical move and these people are selling and they're getting margin calls. They're panicky because they're leveraged. A homeowner isn't leveraged. They just have a fixed product. It's a shelter cost, right? So people try to mix these two groups together. And of course, they've had people tell them this. We had people last year that said, uh-oh, rates hits 4%. You never know. People are just going to run to the market, sell, and oh, yeah, they didn't happen, right? Duration, time. Inventory takes time to work itself up. What happened from 2006 to 2011 was a credit boom, a credit bust, forced selling before the job loss recession happens. We have to look back into the history of inventory going back to 1982, right? Uh, the 2000 recession Inventory fell that year during that recessionary period. That's what I'm worried about. I'm, I, I'm actually worried about the opposite thing of people. I'm worried about inventory going back down if rates fall. And I don't want that. I want inventory to get back up because more choices, more people, if people want to sell, they don't have to worry about, oh, I'm not going to get a home anymore. So we have to get back to normal. And the existing home sales report is so glaringly, savagely unhealthy that you could have declines uh, like that. And you're still running double digits with inventory below. 2014, 2016, 2018 levels still. Well, so we have to work our way back. Let's talk about uh, recession then. So you did raise your uh, fifth recession red flag last week. What is the sixth recession red flag? Do you think that's imminent? And and are we in a recession already? So no, we're not in a recession already. And 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 I, and I simply say it this way: you typically, historically, going back many decades, you don't have a recession when job growth is happening, industrial production is rising, and real sales are positive. It doesn't exist. When recessions happen, total economic activity falls. People lose their jobs. They don't gain 2 million jobs in the first six months. Okay, So people are, are bent up on this well, we're going to have two negative GDPs. That's a recession. Okay, great. This is the first recession where industrial production and millions of jobs were created in six. No. What I see happening, which is really fascinating for me, um, I've always talked about we're going to get all the jobs back that we lost to COVID by September of uh, 2022. We're heading that way. But my fifth recession red flag is already up. So the last one is leading economic index. 
It's a set of 10 data lines. And if you know the components to this, you can already see this index is gonna fall over the next uh, few months. So technically we've got one to two declines already. When you get four to six declines, that's the six recession red flag. That necessarily doesn't mean we're in a recession, but historically that happens. And this is running right in line with my September 2022 jobs uh, 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 a number call. So I'm in a I'm in a very unique situation where I'm going to connect all the jobs getting back by September of 2022, but the leading economic index could actually fall four to six months by then. So uh, for me, it's just very unique because we see we see manufacturing data around the world slowing. We see it uh, slowing here. It's not negative, but it's slowing down. Uh, retail sales are slowing down. Uh, the growth rate, I mean, on a year-over-year basis, on a nominal basis, it's up like 11% still, but you, the rate of growth is slowing down. So because inflation is high, some of the real numbers are, 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 are really a, a, a hit here. Um, so we're, we're heading toward this area. And then we have, we're dealing with 11.5 million job openings uh, and uh, employers needing people. So it's a very, it's a very, very unique economic expansion because uh, traditionally in the, in the previous expansion, all the jobs got back. And then we had a few years before, you know, uh, in fact, the last expansion never had any of the uh, uh, four or five recession red flags up. COVID, if COVID wasn't here, we'd still be in the longest expansion ever. So for me, I've, I've got to look at uh, the next two or three, four months, my leading economic index data that I look at can fall. And then the jobs data could get back to pre-COVID by September. And the point is, at where does companies start to lay off people uh, that isn't part of the durable goods, the excesses of the world, you know, the cryptos, the Pelotons, those companies, they're just, it's, they're not big enough in a general market. I mean, even if you look at the mortgage layoffs that are happening, when you think of a country as over 150 million people working, um, they're, they're relatively small in that sense. So when does it, when does retail sales and everything get hit so much that we lose construction workers? We lose, and the interesting dynamic is that man, you lose some people, you might not get them back as much as you thought. Um, after the Great Financial Recession, job openings were a little bit above two million. We're at eleven point five million here. Every year, baby boomers leave the workforce. They have to be replaced just to stay on par. So there's parts of the U.S. that it's very hard, and it's very hard for small business. Uh, especially now, because you know they're losing their workers to bigger companies that could pay more. So it, there's so many interesting dynamics with this recovery uh, that we're already here with the fifth recession red flag, and I could already see the sixth one coming. And we already have massive job openings. The data in the past is still okay, but boy, we're heading toward that area. But the bond market still is very firm. The ten-year yield is above three percent. Traditionally, we would see bond yields already falling uh, out there. So. A lot of interesting dynamics, but in terms of mortgage rates, to me, that's we've kind of already peaked. Unless you believe, which I think is, if somebody told me this, I believe the U.S. economy is about to expand uh, bigger, and I think whatever supply increase we see in some of these uh, 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 sectors, it'll be gobbled up because Americans have so much wages and they haven't drawn down all their savings yet. So we'll see. It's it, it's just that that is a this is a once in a lifetime recovery. So we have to look at it as a once once in a lifetime recovery expansion and then going into the next recession. But yeah, 
The last time I had my fifth recession red flag up was 2006. Uh, the sixth one came that year. It it was a while before the job loss recession happened. That happened toward the end of 2008. But we track it all the time. And again, we have to deal with variables of not just war with Russia uh, in Ukraine, but also possible uh, China versus, uh, I mean, uh, Taiwan. And what can that do to the supply chains? Or, because when you have a globalized world, when you have countries that are commodity producers, and they're using it as a war. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Um, and we had inflation last year. We had inflation last year, but the bond market really started to go off when the Fed pivoted and the Russian invasion happened. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. But it's it's very interesting how all these things are coming into place right when we're getting towards September of 2022 with unbelievably massive high job openings. Okay, what are you looking at this week? What's What's next? Well, you know, there's uh, the pending home sales is next. And, uh, I, you know, for me, it's always purchase application data on a year-over-year basis. And I got to admit, I, this, is, this is one that I got wrong. I, I thought we would have uh, four-week moving averages of 18 to 22% declines. And with the last report, you know, we've had back-to-back weeks of, uh, of 8% prints and negative uh, 10% declines. We're at 15, uh, 15%. Now, to me, this data line really moves when it's 20 or 30% year over year. Uh, COVID was a really good example. Uh, when, when COVID first started, you know, 28 to 35% declines. Uh, and then we had, you know, 28 to 35% uh, increases on the recovery. In 2014, we were down 20% year over year on trend. 15%, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to assume that the, the reason I got that wrong is that uh, the ARM products have given people some of the outs uh, that uh, uh, kept demand a little bit higher than what would have been the case if there are no arms. So uh, we're going to get we're going to get much harder comps in October because last October is when purchase application data made a rally toward the end of the year. So you could see possibly uh, 25 percent plus declines there just because of a high comp. But man, I I really thought we would be at 18 to 22% year-over-year declines on a four-week moving average. We've had some prints in there, but I, I like to use a four-week moving average. And at 15%, it's not as big as damage as I thought it would be. And I'm just going to assume that the ARM products, which has grown so much this year, uh, facilitated that. Fascinating stuff, Logan, as always. Really appreciate you um, giving our audience, giving me really the insight that we need to figure out in this crazy market. Can't wait to see what comes next. Um, And thank you so much for being on. Yes. And for all of you that are going to be at the Gathering of Eagles, please stop and say hi and ask as many questions because us nerds, we like questions. This is what we live for. (laughs) Yep. You are giving a a luncheon talk there, Gathering of the Eagles, which is in Colorado Springs this week, the 26th through the 29th, um, sponsored by Real Trends. So hope to see people there. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, 
answers questions like these, and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.